A big meeting for the U.S. and China in San Francisco today, and also an opportunity for the city to flex its roots and future as a tech capital. The debate over AI, how it grows, and who should control that process. It's Wednesday, November 15th. Welcome to the Tech Check Podcast. I'm Deirdre Bosa. And I'm Mark Gilbert. Today, Tech Check is in the field at the Cerebral Valley AI Summit in San Francisco. It's a busy day for the city with President Biden and President Xi of China set to meet on the sidelines of APEC. And it's a busy day for city leaders and tech leadership to show off a bit and, and lobby for what they see as their priorities. And I got to say, Mark, the narrative around San Francisco over the last few years has been, you know, the doom loop and how unsafe and dirty and terrible the city is. feels like it's back this week. I don't know if that's going to quickly revert next week, but it feels good to be in a city that the whole world is watching and for it to really deliver so far. So as you said, I'm in the field today. I'm at this conference hosted by Eric Newcomer, who's a former Bloomberg reporter and now does his own Substack. And he did the first one called Cerebral Valley AI Summit only about six or seven months ago. It was in March, Gilbert. I can't believe that it's been such a short amount of time and so much has happened in the generative AI space that it feels like it's been a year. A lot of people here have been commenting on that. Um, and there's a lot of you know really great VCs and founders here, Reid Hoffman, Vinod Khosla, uh, the Databricks CEO, CEOs from Inflection and even Waymo, which is typically very press shy, but I think that they want to be in this large language model conversation um, where really a lot of themes are going to be, that's just one of them, going to be discussed here. The role of open source versus closed source, the NVIDIA H100 chip shortage and big tech's chip ambitions, like Microsoft's announcement, which we're going to be talking more about in this pod, and broadly as well, mega cap tech's role in investing and whether they're displacing VCs. Mark, we're going to look at that for the weekly as well. So make sure um, if you're tuning in right now to listen to that one that comes out on Friday. Yeah, tomorrow we're working on that piece about, about how big tech and the deep pockets of big tech is replacing parts of venture capital. But let's put aside... Microsoft's announcements. Microsoft had a number of announcements today for a second. We'll come back to that. The ush, the other issue that's dividing the AI and VC community, and likely, you know, it's going to be hotly debated uh, from here on out, is the responsible, I'm sort of putting responsible in quotes, the responsible development of artificial intelligence and who controls that process. Right. And we know that this is something that the government's been looking at, right? The Biden administration's executive order. And, you know, this week when we have a bunch of business leaders and government officials in town, it's another opportunity opportunity to revisit this. And so the Commerce Secretary, Gina Raimondo, she's here for APEC. But while she was here, she also launched the Voluntary Responsible AI Protocol. It's a mouthful. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's a protocol, essentially, with a group of startup founders and investors. It focuses on organizational buy-in, on responsible artificial intelligence, transparency, risk and benefit forecasting. Also built into this is sort of feedback. So at least the companies are, you know, constantly assessing where they are and if what they're doing in generative AI is net good or net negative. 35 investors signed in, including General Catalyst and Bain Capital. And when you look at their list of objectives markets, like, great, more transparency, feedback, 
doesn't seem like it would be all that controversial, but... But yeah, it was surprisingly controversial and elicited some really strong blowback um, and criticism from many others in the tech community, like who else, um, but Mark Andreessen, who I think can, you know, considers mm-hmm. himself a bit of an iconoclast and likes to be sort of counter-narrative. Also, Balaji Srinivasan. Mark Andreessen was on Twitter and commented, uh, or excuse me, Twitter now known as X, absolutely not. Uh, and then Balaji Srinivasan, uh, his line was, quote, we will fight government control over compute with everything we have. And, you know, and sort let's of interesting. Be clear, they're, responding, yeah. they're responding to a post from Hamat Taneja, who is with General Catalyst, who's been sort of like the leading VC on this initiative and this protocol. So it's kind of setting up certain <laughs> VC on VC, VC prestigious funds exactly against each other. Yeah, I mean another another uh, investor and advisor, Steve Sanoski, who spent a, uh, many years at Microsoft. Uh, this was his quote: "Everyone should be thankful this mindset did not prevail at the advent of the microprocessor, the database, the PC, the internet, mobile phones, and so on." At each step, there were those that championed caution over innovation. He left out a few areas here, Mark, because (laughs) sure, you can cherry pick, but you know where I wish this mindset did prevail, or at least was considered social media. That is just such a glaring example of sort of innovation, technology, a new way of communicating, being pioneered without thinking about the adverse effects, right? And I think that a lot of folks, parents especially, because it's such an issue for teenagers and kids that are even younger than that, that I think a lot of folks would agree that they wish there was some transparency or some controls. I don't know if controls is the right word, at least some discussion. And that's what I think- Yeah, over the, some discussion about- government are looking to. Some discussion about sort of the benefits and the societal trade-offs. I mean, I, you know, you, what you just said about social media also sort of reminds me of YouTube, right? Um, you know, YouTube, there's this huge, huge ballooning of content that was out there on YouTube and it just sort of grew, grew in such an unfettered way. There's all this like algorithmic content that gets targeted towards, towards children. It's really problematic. And now it's so big that it's kind of, you know, the response is, well, it's so big, you know, the algorithm is so diffuse that it's, it's really hard to do anything about. And it's like, well, you know, then why did we let these platforms get, get to be, you know, this way in the, in the first place? It's just so polarizing, right? You can't say anything critical without maybe some of these more libertarian-minded thought leaders saying, oh, you're stifling innovation. Because I think about on one hand, you know, my immigrant mother from Taiwan, who to her, the greatest gift has been Google search and YouTube. She tells me this is how she learns about the world. This is, you know, free, digestible sources of information for her. But then I think about, you know, my eight-year-old on the other hand, too, I have to be so careful what he's looking at on YouTube, whether he's not being led down this algorithmic rabbit hole, watching things that he shouldn't be. And I think a lot of, you know, folks have these questions. You don't even need to have kids to have those questions about, you know, some of the the ill effects of social media. And that's kind of just what um, the investors on the side of more caution are calling for. But I guess what worries, to play devil's advocate once again, to the Mark Andreessen's and the um, the others who are on the other side of this, they are, and maybe fairly so, worried about stifling innovation. It's such a tricky and delicate balance, I guess, is the takeaway. I think also it's clear if you cover VC, and this is a little bit sort of in, insider VC 
um, drama, but there is this sharp divide between, and it's not just about AI, it's about sort of everything. It's about government and it's about tech and it's about, you know, regulation and society broadly, but there is this libertarian, uh, anti-government streak in VC. Those three investors I quoted, they all are associated and former, either current or former, uh, partners of Andreessen Horowitz. I would also add, you know, Elon Musk to that group. I would also add Founders Fund, people like Peter Thiel and mm-hmm. Keith Raboy. And there's definitely just this, you know, a bit of a, um, I'm not sure if the word is cowboy culture, but a bit of a sort of, uh, you know, a libertarian, anti-government, anti-San Francisco government, um, kind of individualistic, go hard as you can attitude versus a more, um, you know, more, a more like San Francisco is a very liberal city versus a more sort of liberal side mm-hmm. of tech um, that is talking about, you know, societal advancement and how tech can help the world. I also think the other side of this, when you mention Andreessen and Horowitz and Founders Fund, sort of their ethos at the center of what they do is always support the founder no matter what, right? So if they are on the side of regulators or more caution, slowing down the pace of innovation, that doesn't exactly that that could put them at odds with their founders that are doing everything they can to develop these new technologies and also win this new technological race that is generative AI. So we'll see. This will continue to play out. I have no doubt. Yeah. And Mark, even you know, we considered whether to cover this, right? Because as you said, it does get in the weeds of venture capital and you know venture capitalists talking to each other and maybe debating these issues. But in this case, it is so important because. AI and these chatbots are touching sort of everyday lives, whether that be our own and our work, our kids and how they do homework and submit essays. Um, so, so it is certainly something to watch. And as the Biden administration or whatever administration comes next, this is going to be something they're going to have to contend with. Yeah. Let's also talk about, speaking of sort of the the next leg of the generative AI um, advancement, let's talk about the Microsoft news today. So Microsoft announced mm-hmm. its own custom AI chips you know, setting itself up to squarely compete with NVIDIA. I think the big sort of strategy difference is these are not chips that they're selling outright to customers. Microsoft is not getting into the (laughs) semiconductor sales business. These are in-house chips that will power their own cloud services. Right. And so in that sense, it's a way to essentially reduce their own costs in the cloud and be able to serve customers who are working on generative AI models or products. So basically they can reduce their dependence on those expensive NVIDIA GPUs by creating their own custom silicon designed for its own cloud infrastructure, which Microsoft hasn't done before. Notable though, there's been reports that they were doing so. And I think at least you and I, Mark, we never questioned that they would be because the other tech giants are doing so. Amazon and Google have developed their own custom chips on the aim of just breaking that NVIDIA monopoly, essentially, right? We've talked about this. It's the chips, but it's also the ecosystem and the software that they've created around their hardware. Um, so they, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, they're all working with ARM, which is the recent chip maker who went public. That is the so-called Switzerland of the chip world. And I went back this morning when I was you know, reading about this Microsoft announcement. Can you imagine if ARM was allowed to be acquired by NVIDIA, the regulator shut that down. But now you can kind of see why. They're trying to break the NVIDIA you know, that's reliance a, and It's monopoly. a great point. And we d- maybe don't talk about it enough because we talk a lot about the regulator's failure to uh, you know, to step in and, and losing certain cases. But that was an example where, wow, you really would have taken one of the competitors off the board if they were allowed, if they were allowed to merge. 
Totally. So this story, Microsoft developing its own chips, mega cap developing its own chips, it's all about optimizing power performance and cost. I think that's, you know, the biggest takeaway, Mark. And this was a really interesting idea that was brought up today. I sat down with Ali Godsey, who is the CEO of Databricks, the still private company, but really seen as one of these um, interesting companies that is playing on the generative AI sort of hype cycle because they made an acquisition earlier this year, Mosaic ML, that put them in this race. And he has this opinion that there is going to be a chip glut next year. He thinks that the NVIDIA monopoly is going to go away. They're developing another set of you know chips, Grace Hopper. And because all of these other megataps are, mega caps are developing their own chips to at least help with that compute power, make it more efficient, more cost effective. He thinks that there's going to be a glut, and we're not going to be talking about it in the same way next year. Something we can we can delve into. I think you know the, the semiconductor industry is sort of one of constant uh, uh, shortages and gluts, right? They're sort of underproduction and overproduction, and it's always swinging back and forth. I think it's going to be really interesting to watch these stocks that have mm-hmm. outperformed so far this year and led the 2023 rally, and what happens to them next year, and then also companies that are in the midst of multi-year transformations. Uh, you know, and when you're in a, mm-hmm. a five or 10 year transformation and there are these huge swings happening, you know, within six months or 18 months, that's really interesting to see how that sort of tracks onto your company. I'm thinking basically about Intel, right, which is trying to sort of pull off this transformation while there's these like tectonic <laughs> shifts happening within the chip industry. Yeah. And there's also, you know, the geopolitical conversation around this too, speaking of President Xi Jinping and President Biden meeting. And by the way, President Xi Jinping is going to be hosting a dinner tonight. I think it's 2000 bucks a plate for American CEO. So today at this conference, everyone's sort of discussing and speculating who might be here. But uh, you can imagine that, you know, the big players, we don't know, but hopefully we'll find out later today who's here. I I did hear that Satya Nadella is flying in. presumably to go to that dinner, you probably got Elon Musk and any number of big tech company CEOs. I think it's also, you know, one more thing I wanted to hit on is that you talked about, um, you know, Amazon and Google bringing their chip production in house. But the other company that's done that is Apple, right? Trying to uh, create their own silicon, their own, um, their own chips to power their own ecosystem of devices. And it's about making that sort of hardware and software, you know, linking them even even further. Um, You know, I'm also reminded of even uh, Amazon, you know, originally built AWS to manage their own e-commerce needs in the cloud. And it just ended up being such mm-hmm. a useful and efficient service that they started selling it to other people. So I'm just wondering if in, you know, uh, three, four, five, ten 10 years from now, what happens to these in-house silicon, silicon projects from Microsoft and Google and Amazon and Apple, you know, what sort of valuable businesses do they end up being? They're also hugely expensive. So they're, these are big risk, big reward projects. Right. And who has the money and the capital and the balance sheets exactly. to develop it? It's big tech. But yep. the M1 from Apple line of Silicon, the M line of Silicon from Apple, it's been just so enormously successful, not in the AI space, but it can tell you, that tells you what's at stake here is that there's a lot, they've totally displaced Intel. Um, anyways, this is certainly a topic we're going to be talking about in the months, year going forward. I can confidently say that. So for now, for the rest of the week, we'll be focused on this Xi Jinping and Joe Biden meeting the presidents of China and the U.S. And I'm curious to find out who is at dinner tonight. So we'll be talking about all that tomorrow. Tune in.